Hi, my name is Wendy Lyon. I'm part of the Summer Women in the Word teaching team, and I am so excited to be here. Hello to the South Campus, and if you're joining us in your, at work or in your car or at home, I'm so glad I get to study Judges with you. I want to start off by telling you a true story about two traveling businessmen. Their names were John and Samuel. And in 1889, John Nicholson arrived at Central Hotel in Baskerville, Wisconsin for the night. Now the hotel was full, but they offered him a double room with an extra bed with a man named Samuel Hill. Now the two had a lot in common. They believed in Jesus Christ and they stayed up late talking about him, reading about him and praying together. Many more meetings followed and they decided to uh, start an organization together that distributed Bibles all over to anyone who wanted to read the Bible. During their prayer time, both felt the call to start an organization, and a na the name for that organization was the Gideons, based on the story of Gideon in chapters 6 and 7 of Judges. They came up, for, up with uh, the purpose statement for the Gideons. They believed that Christian men and women needed to be continually strengthened in their walk with the Lord and that by standing together in faith, they could accomplish great things for God's kingdom. They began with the Bible project that distributed two billion Bibles in hotels, in prisons, medical offices, anywhere that you would sit for a period of time and pick up some reading material. And I know many of you have stayed in a hotel and opened up that side table drawer and seen a Gideon Bible. And maybe men and women who are in those hotels open up that Bible and read the story of Gideon and find that he is a mighty warrior, but he also struggled with fear and doubt and wavering faith. And maybe as they read the story of Gideon, they would think, I'm a lot like Gideon. And maybe they thought, if God can use someone like Gideon, God could use someone like me. My hope is that you too will identify with Gideon. I know I have as I've studied this story, but I hope you also see the characteristics of our mighty God that just like messes like me and messes like you, he can still use us for his kingdom. Gideon is the only judge whose personal struggles with faith are just laid bare and they're recorded for all of us to read and all of us to study. In fact, there are more verses devoted to Gideon than any other judge in the Bible. So um, we have three chapters to study. So let's just jump on in and open your Bibles to Judges chapter six, verse one. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years, and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep, no ox, or no donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents. They would come up like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste to the land as they came in, and Israel was brought very low because of Gideon. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. 
Now, you might remember Deb showed us a picture of a cycle with all S's. It was sin, uh, ser servitude, supplication, which is crying out to the Lord, salvation, when God reached out to the Israelites, and servitude. Now, we find Israel right smack in the middle of servitude to Midian. Now, the Midianites were really interesting people. They were nomads. They lived in the desert um, along the Arabian Desert. They were nomadic raiders. They rode camels and raided Israel for seven long years. And it was common for other nomadic tribes to join Midian raid, Midianite raids. So the Israelites lived in fear. They toiled all year long for harvest. Their land was fertile in Canaan and the Midianites knew that. So they would come, come and steal their harvest and use it for themselves. They're described as a swarm of locusts laying waste to the land, stealing all the food and livestock. Now to give you a picture of how devastating these raids were, the locust swarm can eat enough food in one day to feed 34 million people. Their raids were devastating. So in order to feed their families, they made caves, they gathered as many crops as they could and they hid in their caves. You know, the people would cry out, they go through this entire cycle. That is supplication to the Lord. The Lord sent prophets to deliver the Israelites saying, do not fear the gods of the Amorites. But the Israelites continued to worship other gods. So the Lord gave them over to the Midianites. Look at verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Orphrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you. You shall strike the Midianites as one man. So God sends an angel of the Lord to Gideon and this angel seems to be the pre-incarnate Christ. And we've seen him before in past lessons. What else do we find out about Gideon? Well, we know he is the son of Joash. Joash is his father and he's from the town of Manasseh. Manasseh is in Northern Israel. We also know he took part in idol worship. The idols of Baal and Asher, we'll find out later, were right in Gideon's backyard. And many people from Israel came to worship those idols. We also find him hiding in a wine press. Now this is not the normal place for Israelites to beat their grain. Normally they'd go to a high plain and beat their wheat and the wind would blow the chaff away and the useful grain would fall to the ground. So it was faster and easier, but they were visible there. So here we find Gideon in a stone pit in a low valley, in a wine press, beating his wheat. So God approaches Gideon while he's hiding and calls him, O mighty man of valor. 
Now Gideon's response shows he knows the history of the Lord. He knows the Lord delivered them from Egypt. And he says, why hasn't the Lord delivered us? The problem was Israel had had forsaken God, not the Midianite oppression. The oppression was the result of a deeper root sin problem. And finally, God offers a solution to the deliverance of Israel. He says, Gideon, I send you. You know, God calls him mighty two times. Go in this might of yours. Do I not send you? And he calls him, oh, mighty man of valor. You know, might is having great, impressive power and strength. And valor means great courage in the face of dangers. This is not a picture of a warrior here. Gideon is hiding. I can imagine when God called him mighty man of valor that he just looked to the right and looked to the left and thought, there's got to be someone with might behind me. You're talking to me? But God met Gideon right where he was. He saw him for who he would become by God's might and not his own. So Gideon gives him two excuses. He's from the weakest clan. And this was true. Manasseh was the weakest clan and, and the smallest clan. He, and he was the youngest in his family. You know, that's just like God to pick unlikely leaders to do his work. He chose Moses to go speak to Pharaoh. And he, Moses gave him the excuse of having um, an inability to speak well. And he sent Moses. He chose David, who was the youngest in his family. And David became a king. And when Moses gave him the excuse, God told him six words, but I will be with you. And in Joshua 1, 5 and 9, look on your verse sheet. God calls Joshua to battle the Canaanites and God reminds reminds him, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. And again in verse 9, do not be frightened. The Lord God is with you wherever you go. When God is with us, all excuses go away. There is nothing God will ask you to do that he won't help you. He will enable you and help you with what he's called you to do, and you will not fail. God meets us right where we are. He's not concerned about our past or our status, if we're the youngest or the weakest he will, with his power, he will do his work and he just asks us to join him. The Lord had a lot to do um, in the life of Gideon. He had a lot of leadership training to do. Look at verse 17. Excuse me. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out a present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot. And he brought them to to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. And the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff 
that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes and the fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. And to this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abizarites. You know, we see Gideon struggling here um, again as he requests supernatural confirmation from God that this is truly God speaking to him. He needs to know, is this really God speaking to me? And he gave him a huge job. Gideon then built his first altar to God after he hears God say, alas, he recognizes God and says, alas, O Lord. You know, he's experienced building altars. He's probably built several um, idols to Baal and maintain them, but he's never built an altar. And this is a personal altar between him and the Lord, completely devoted to God. It was a sign of his personal inward change in Gideon, and he named it, the Lord is peace. And I think this is the first time Gideon has experienced peace. Remember, he's been hiding. He's lived in fear. He feels hopeless. He experienced the peace of God. And now he's more confident and he can move forward because God has another instruction for Gideon. Look at verse 25. That night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah pole that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the fire of Asherah that you cut down. So Gideon took 10 of his servant, 10 men of his servant and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So God tells Gideon to take your father's bull. Now it says two bulls. It could be there was a bull uh, to be sacrificed for Gideon's sins and the sins of Israel, but it's believed that this is referring to one bull and it's translated as a second bull or your father's second best bull. Either way, he was to take a bull of seven years old, tie it up to the um, idol Baal and pull it down. It was a very large, heavy idol. So he used a, uh, his bull to pull it down. And then he would hack down the Asherah pole and offer his father's bull, which was most likely set aside to be offered to Baal, but it was to be offered to the Lord God right at the site at where the Asherah pole was cut down. Now the bull is a sacred symbol of Baal. In fact, if you've seen a picture of the idol Baal, he has a bull head and, the and bull horns on his head, the whole head of a bull. Now a bull would be offered to the Lord. This bull was seven years old. How many years had the Midianites oppressed the Israelites? Seven years. This would signify the end of oppression and the end of idol worship. They would now worship Yahweh, the Lord their God. These are some scary instructions for 
um, Gideon at this time because Gideon knows he's not going to be the most popular guy in Israel once he takes down these idols. He's obedient though. Even if he's afraid, he's obedient and he completes this ta task in the dark. Look at verse 30. Chapter 6, verse 30. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerobel. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. So the Israelites call Joash out and they ask, Joash out and they ask that his son Gideon be executed. But what does Joash do? He defends his son. He said, let Baal contend for himself. Will you contend for Baal or will you save him? If he's a God, let him contend for himself. The second altar to God was a public demonstration of his full devotion to the Lord and his full rejection of Baal worship. We're starting to see a big change in Gideon. Gideon as a leader of Israel has demonstrated his standing with God, not with idol worship, and that Israel too would stand with God and trust him and deliver them from Midian. They needed to trust Gideon as their judge and Gideon needed to trust God as his leader. As his leader. You know, this is a shining moment for Gideon. We see him taking on these characteristics of might and valor. Look at verse 34. 634. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and, and, the, and he sounded the trumpet and the Abizarites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to, messengers to Asher, Zebulon and Naphtali and they went up to meet him. So Gideon is, is mighty. He's ready to go. And with God's help, God gives him the Holy Spirit to help him. He builds an army and he is ready to go. He builds an army of 32,000 men. But even after calling in an army to move forward with God's instructions, Gideon's fear bubbles back up. Look at chapter 6, verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung the, enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test you once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night and it was dry on the fleece only and on the ground there was dew. You see Gideon waffling here. His fear is coming back up. He designs his own test for God. You know, he's not testing God's will. He already knows he's supposed to defeat the Midianites. God's told him numerous times. He said, I will be with you. You're going to strike them as one man. Gideon is struggling with doubt. 
He doubts the power of God. And it's saying two times, if you will save Israel by my hand. And you can tell he's struggling even asking God during this, in this test. He recognizes it too, his fear. So Gideon puts a fleece on his back door. A fleece is a sheepskin. It's thick with wool. So the first night, if it's wet with dew and the ground is dry, he, he knows God will save Israel. That same test is repeated this time just to make sure. And he requests that the fleece be dry and the ground be wet with dew. You know, this example of the fleece test is not how God expects us to respond when he calls us. We are not to test the Lord. He calls us and he expects us to step out in faith and trust him and move forward in obedience. But God understands the battle going on in Gideon's heart between fear and faith. And he accommodates this test because God is so gracious and patient. He meets Gideon again in his weak faith and accepts this test by doing what Gideon asks. But God had his own test for Gideon. Drop your eyes down to chapter 7, verse 1. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Mori in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give to the Midianites, to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So Gideon rose early. He was ready to go. He had his army and he was ready to prove his power with the fleece test. He musters his army of 32,000 and God says, no. You need to send those home who are fear and trembling and leaves 10,000. What army leader reduces their military? So now he has 10,000 and look, God has, look what God has for Gideon, another test. Look at verse four. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Anyone of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped at putting their hands to their mouth was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his own home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained 300 men and the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Okay, you'll see a slide here. 
Now, uh, this is a picture of Gideon's men at the stream. They look pretty clean and colorful. I'm not sure that this is exactly how they looked. I think they might be a little dirty and wearing more earth tone colors. But either way, you can see them. The men who uh, used their hands and brought them to her, their mouths and lapped the water were set aside. And the men who kneeled down to the water and drank were also grouped together. And God said, keep the men who lapped. This was an arbitrary, arbitrary, arbitrary test. So Gideon now only has 300 men. And God says, with these 300, I will deliver the Midianites into your hand. You know, I read a um, commentary that had a great quote about this fleece test and God's test. I'd like to share it with you. Gideon had hoped to achieve by the fleece demonstration some kind of self-assurance that things would turn out well. And it was the very carpet that God pulled out, out from beneath him. Gideon sought to gain some security by a self-conceived sign with the fleece. And though God acquiesced to that request, he immediately countered by putting Gideon in an even more vulnerable position. If Gideon struggled to trust God with 32,000 Israelites against 135,000 Midianites, how would he react to only 300? This was a loving act of God to expose Gideon's fear to strengthen his faith. I wish I could see Gideon's face when he saw only 300 men. It probably looked a lot like my face when things are changed in my life. Um, we know sometimes our, reduces, our resources are reduced. Maybe our finances have changed. Our health has declined. A situation in our family has changed. We've lost a, uh, some friends. But, and I think, how is this going to work out? Just like Gideon. It's in those moments I realize where I place my trust. Do I place my trust in those resources? David reminds us in the psalm, this is on your verse sheet, Psalm 56, 3 to 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. Gideon was to put his trust in God's word and not stare at the resources before him. Okay, look at verse 9. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. And you shall hear what they, they shall say. And afterward, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. And the, when the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of Israel lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camer, camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down, so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. 
So God patiently offers Gideon another miraculous sign, another uh, confirmation because he knows Gideon needs it. He says, if you are afraid, of course he's afraid. He's still wavering between fear and faith and God graciously meets him where he is. Now, I love that it says the Midianites lay like locusts in numbers and camels too many to count. That's like finding a needle in the haystack. So God says, go down to the camp and find this dreamer. And you're going to just sit by this dreamer and hear a dream. I would think that's a crazy idea, but it's God giving him this instruction. So he goes down, he sits uh, by the man who had the dream. And he hears the dream that they would defeat the Midianites. So we, we see that he is strengthened by God's hand. He's strengthened by this dream and Gideon worships. He is ready for battle. He is standing strong in that might and valor, pushing away fear. Look at verse 16. And he divided the... 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with, with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet and I who and all who are with me, then blow trumpets also on every side of the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hand the torches and in their right hand the trumpets. And they cried out, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade, against all the army. And the army fled as far as Bashita towards Zerah and as far as the border of Abel at Meholah by Tabath. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh and they pursued after Midian. So Gideon's plan was to divide them into three groups. Uh, they surrounded the men of Midian. You might see on the slide there, this is the best picture I could find of an entire army surrounding the camp of Midian. You can see Midian was laying low in the battle. Um, they had clay uh, in their left hand. They had torches. Um, left hand, they had torches and jars and the right hand, they had a trumpet. Now these were clay jars, easily breakable, and there were most likely oil in the jars and they had to put the torches in there so that they wouldn't be seen and noticed. They would reveal those torches when they finally hit the camp. Now the addition of clay jars and torches is in, in, interesting to me because um, it seems symbolic of the Holy Spirit present with them in battle. You know, jars of clay are often frail and mortal and um, like our mortal bodies. They comp they're compared to our bodies. They're weak, easily breakable. But look at Corinth what Corinthians has to say on your verse sheet um, as it explains the clay jars and the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay 
to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. The Holy Spirit is the Lord's helper. He's, our, he's a guide. And when you make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, Savior, the Lord gives us the Holy Spirit inside of us to help us. On our own, we're weak, but with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do anything God asks us to do. So Gideon's army had a visual of the Holy Spirit that God would win this battle with those torches. So Gideon surrounds Midian. They send those jars uh, to the ground. They make a loud sound. The trumpets were ram horns. And I don't know if you've ever heard a ram horn, but it makes a very loud, annoying, shrill sound. So with the breaking of the clay jars, and the shrieking of the ram horns, it sent the Midianites into confusion. And they turned on each other and started killing each other with swords. This was clearly God's victory. The surviving Midianites were scattered, but pursued by Gideon's army and the kings were killed. Now this battle cry, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon was a shout of confidence in God's power to deliver him. But I couldn't help but wonder if Gideon was taking some of God's glory, mentioning a sword for Gideon. This battle cry differed from Joshua. If you were with us last fall, we studied Joshua. And when they defeated Jericho, he shouted, shout for the Lord. The Lord has given you this day. And the walls came down. After this battle, you see there's no altar to God. There's no worship. And last week we saw that Deborah had a song of praise. There's no song of praise. You know, this entire story is full of twos. And I think it represents Gideon's struggle between two devotions. He wants to follow the Lord, but his self gets in the way. With a little pride in his battle cry, we start to see a change in Gideon's character. He sends out messengers to gather a large army. He builds it back up from the 300 that God gave them and increases it. He sends out messengers. He proceeds to lead several more battles on his own and we don't have time to cover these battles, but there's no mention of God directing them. Look at verse, um, in chapter eight, verse 19. I'm gonna read this real quickly. And he said, they were my brothers. He's talking to uh, some Midianites. They were my brothers, the sons of my mothers. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So um, the last battle, Gideon is setting, settling a score with some kings that had killed his brothers. Now, we don't know if his brothers were killed in battle or how they were killed, but we do know it's an opportunity that Gideon takes to uh, use his power to avenge his brother's death. And the, look at verse uh, 22. Let's start reading there. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us and your son and your grandson also, also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you. Every one of you, give me your earrings from his spoil. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, we will willingly give them. 
And they spread a cloak and every man threw it in, in it, the earrings of the spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold beside, besides the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian. And besides the collars and the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod, ephod of it and put it in, his, in the city in Ophrah. And all of Israel whored after it there and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. So Midian was subdued before, subdued before the people of Israel and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon. So the people asked Gideon, to rule over them. And Gideon answers correctly, I won't rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And this is how God intended. But in the very next sentence, something happens to Gideon. He says, give me all your jewelry. Give me all your, all your earrings. And they willingly hand it over and he makes an ephod. Now we don't really know what an ephod was, but we know it was put in the middle of the city and it became a snare and an object of worship. And it could have been that Gideon wanted to make an ephod for the Lord. And he didn't have any evil intentions in making it, but he was so quick to make something that became an object of worship instead of choosing to worship for the Lord. You know, Warren Wiersbe had a great quote. It says, a good motive cannot compensate for a bad action. You know, God did all this for Gideon. He won this victory. He gave the Israelites to the Midianites to be depressed, oppressed and depressed. God chose Gideon as his ancient agent to lead the Israelites in battle. God strengthened Gideon's faith and, and his, to equip him with courage. He gave him mighty valor. God gave the Midianites into the hands of the Israelites. God orchestrated everything. But Gideon still struggles with two competing thoughts. I want to give glory to God, but I want some of that glory for myself. He's stealing God's glory. Despite his poor decisions, God uses Gideon mightily and to accomplish his work. Here's some things we know about Gideon. Israel for a time returned to worshiping God because he tore down the idol, idols. 300 Israelites experienced God's power, which was amazing and a miracle as they defeated the Midianites. The Israelites experienced rest and peace in their land, no longer hiding in their caves. They could come out. They could thresh their wheat on open plains. They didn't have to conceal their harvest and they had rest for 40 years. And God remembered Gideon and his faithfulness as Gideon is included in the hall of fame in Hebrews 11 on your verse sheet. For a time would fail to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, and obtained promises. I am more overwhelmed by God's character and the way he relates to Gideon. He's so patient. He's gentle. And you know, the title of this series is Amazing Grace. I hope you see the amazing grace of God in Gideon's life. And I hope you see that he is just as gracious to us. You know, we may waver in our faith as well. I know I can, but we can be women who step out in faith. We can trust God's power to accomplish his work. 
You know, all the Lord wants from us is to trust and obey. What God wanted from Gideon was inner heart work. Yes, he was training him for a big battle, but he needed him and the nation of Israel to worship him alone. We don't need to live as God is equipping us for some extraordinary event in the future. We only have the present. He wants us to live for him now. Know the Lord is with you. He'll help you. And with his help, you will not fail. Now, this is a hard one for me because um, I, I don't like to fail. If you're like me, I don't like to fail. But we call those in my house teachable moments. So I hope you saw in Gideon's life, he had a lot of teachable moments. He'll always enable you to do what he's called you to do. Don't let fear of failure be a distraction because you will have some bad days. God, those setbacks aren't failures. It's God's opportunity to use you in our, use us in our weakness because in our weakness, um, he is strong. Finish strong. Don't let the temptation of old habits distract you. We all have battles. We battle the sin of those old habits. I know I do. In our hearts, we battle um, discontentment, maybe anger, maybe pride, just like Gideon. It's so easy for that sneaky pride to creep in our hearts. You know, the Apostle Paul shared his struggle with sin. Look at Romans 7, 15 on your verse sheet. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but I do, but what I hate to do. You know, I can relate to Paul. I want to serve myself, but I want to be grounded in God's word. Even David struggled with distractions and he wrote um, great instructions to us in Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Against you. And lastly, we can be women who give God the glory for all he has accomplished through us. Giving God the glory and praising him, it pushes away pride. Giving him the glory acknowledges that apart from him, we can do nothing. Giving God the glory motivates us to step out in faith again and again and again and again because the Lord is always with us. Let me close this in prayer. Lord God, you call us to do your kingdom, kingdom work in our homes and, and with our friends, and it's impossible on our own. Help us to be women who continually trust you in your power and strength without wavering to do the work you've called us to. Thank you for using us. It's a privilege to join you in your work. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen.